Open your Bibles with me this morning if you would. You can see it's Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Just keep it open if you would. While you're turning to that, a little bit of word about the way we take up special offerings. I generally try to find the people that are doing the best good right now. So sometimes we'll give to one organization, sometimes to another. I'm not trying to do anything sneaky for earlier in the year when we did some disaster relief. I went through the Missouri Baptist Convention because they have a really good disaster relief organization here in the States and they were already at work. For Ukraine relief, we're giving and you have an opportunity to give through this month to the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, a different Baptist organization. And the reason I chose them is because they already had a ministry in Kiev. And uh, I wish that were true, true, but the ministry in Kiev was destroyed this week by a bomb. And so they are still there. No one was, the missionaries that the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship have there were not in the building at the time, but the building is destroyed. So that ministry that they had there in that particular location is gone. We're still going to give there to them because the people are still there. They're still setting up disaster relief. I don't know that they're going to stay in Kiev. They may have been, end up in Poland simply because of the situation. But just in case you ever wonder how we choose those different organizations, I tend to think that different organizations do things differently and sometimes better than others. And there's no hidden agenda there. I'm not trying to get you to go to Missouri Baptist Fellowship or to Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. We're just doing what works. So I encourage you to give to that. Um, you know, obviously, this is a, a special circumstance. So give generously if you would. There will be needs for many, many years in Ukraine. Ephesians chapter 4. As always, we will pray. I was thinking of one of the songs that we were singing and it talked about I believe this and thus and so and it was talking about just the basics of the faith and as a preacher one of the pressures on us is to say things that are relevant you know people always say well Kevin I, I know what I believe I want something that's going to help me today so I was thinking about that song because it's just traditional beliefs nothing earth-shaking but earth-shaping but there's nothing new there. It's just traditional. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus the Son. The crucifixion, resurrection. Just things like that. And I happened to catch an interview this week of a young mama in Poland who had escaped from Ukraine. Everything she owned fit on that baby stroller. And you've seen the pictures. Thousands of them just like her. Everything she owned, including her only child, in that baby stroller. And they ask her the rather obtuse question, what do you have left? And she said, I have my faith. She says, I've lost everything else, but I have my faith and God is there. And I thought, what a powerful witness to what Jesus Christ can do. So sometimes I'm going to try to be practical and tell you what to do and how to do it. Those, I'm going to do some of that today. But sometimes, folks, we just need to be directed to remind ourselves of who we are in Christ. Join me in prayer, please.
Father, again, we thank you for the privilege of worship and safety and comfort. We thank you, Father, for heat, for shelter, for food and clothing, the security and stability of this great nation. Thank you, Father. We have everything. We thank you, Father, for this life that we have in Jesus, your indwelling spirit, the cleansing of sin from Jesus, the story of the resurrection, for the hope in this life and in the life to come. Thank you. Father, this morning we ask you would be with us. Give us comfort and hope. Give us the ability to endure, to thrive, to get up each day and face life. Help us to trust you each day. We pray a special prayer for those in Ukraine in their war-torn situation. Help them, Father. We pray that we, your people, would step up along with others on this earth to help them and feed them and protect them and give them lodging. Give us a willingness to share. They're people just like us in every way. Give us a generous spirit. Give us strength and resolve to fight against the evil that is obvious. Help us to acknowledge the fact that we live in an evil world and sometimes we can only fight. We ask for your guidance. We ask for changed hearts. We ask for endurance and strength for those people. As always, Father, we ask you to be with us here. We have struggles of our own here. Some are recovering from surgery. Others are facing end-of-life issues. We pray, Father, that you would work there in those lives. Be with the families of our loved ones. Be with the families of health care workers, first responders, soldiers. Give them comfort. Protect those who serve. Thank you, Father, for this life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I always thought, and this is when I was growing up, that after you got to a certain age, you'd get it. That you would understand life. That you would not do stupid things. That you would gain control of your tongue. And this is... Back in, back in my youth, when my tongue was a constant source of problems, you know, I thought someday it's not going to be that way. And I'm going to think correctly, I'm going to do correctly, I'm going to be like all those other old people, thinking that anybody over 18 was old, you know, in my youth. And guess what I found out? Not a lot changed. My body gets older, but not a lot changes other than that. I still struggle against the things that I struggled with 40, 50 years ago. It's hard to believe. I am still me. And you are still you, aren't you? We don't seem to change too much. Hopefully we do, but sometimes we struggle. Like I said, I always thought that when people got to a certain age or educational level, they would get everything figured out. But it's not true at all. In one of my churches years ago, there was a young couple, heavily involved in a church, a really good guy. Pretty quiet, didn't have much to say, worked a lot. 
When he wasn't working, he was hunting. Like I said, a good guy. Didn't have much to say. Not much of a sense of humor, but one of those guys that you just generally liked to have around. His wife was loud and funny and cheery and one of those people that you wanted around. We wanted in the church our couples to thrive and survive. And that one didn't. There was an affair. The woman stepped out. And it was horrible for the church. Because I was the pastor, I ended up involved in it. And we don't have any secrets to fix marriages like that. I met with them several times. They were able to get back together over a period of time. And fast forward 30 years, they're still together. So that marriage was saved. In one of the conversations, and you know, we don't gossip, but you know how it is in church. When your friends go through things, you talk about them with your friends. And one of the older women in the church who loved this couple and was related to one of them, she came up and talked to me, and it was one of those confidential, off in the corner during a meal's conversations. And she said, well, Kevin, exactly what was the problem? And I couldn't tell her any of the details. And she kept pressing, and finally I said, and this wasn't a necessarily a big secret, she, I said, I just don't think he knows how to treat a woman. And her eyes lit up. She goes, that's exactly what I thought. And we talked for just a moment about that because he was such a good guy. But his mom and daddy had a rocky marriage. He had come out of that. And he just hadn't learned how to treat a woman. Nothing abusive. Like I said, he worked 70, 80 hours a week. Always. He was just one of those guys. It was his way of providing for his wife. Had a little girl. He didn't spend much time with him because, like I said, he worked 70, 80 hours a week. And when he wasn't working, he was hunting, an avid hunter. Going to his house, all sorts of stuffed animals, one of those things. Didn't make any time for his family. Didn't know he was supposed to. One of the things that he had to learn, and they finally ended up going to a counselor. And the marriage survived, like I said. And what he learned was, he couldn't just be a man talking about work and hunting. Sometimes in order to keep a marriage together he had to give something more. He had to learn to talk to his wife. He had to learn to be gracious and kind to her. He had to learn to say, I love you. The counselor said you have to say that. The counselor taught him to say that to get gift cards, flowers, all the things that men think are kind of silly but mean so much to females. And I don't mean to be sexist or demeaning here, but you know how it is. And he learned that, and as a result, his marriage was saved. It wasn't easy for him. He had to learn. The fact that you're older than 12 years old doesn't mean you know everything, does it? You have to be taught. Sometimes you're taught things you have to know when you're growing up. Sometimes you miss it when you're growing up. Mom and dad fail for whatever reason or you're just not paying attention. And somewhere along the way as an adult, you have to learn certain things in order to keep your marriage together, to keep your life together, in order to live life correctly. And I've been surprised over the years at how intelligent people that are accomplished in a very specific area of life can be absolutely ignorant of some of the other areas that are so important. 
And it's not that they're stupid or anything like that. They've just never heard. It doesn't come naturally to them. Well, surprisingly, not only does that apply to marriage and finances and work ethics and all those kinds of things, it also applies to the way you live out your faith. If you are not taught how to live as Christian, if you're not taught right and wrong, if you're not taught by modeling how to act in certain situations, you may not figure it out on your own. So today we're going to read a pretty long passage of scripture. Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. And he was writing good Christian folk like you and I. Struggling. Doing everything wrong. Because no one had ever taught them. Follow along with me. I'll read in Ephesians 4. Beginning at verse 17 through the end of the chapter. This I say therefore and affirm together with the Lord. That you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in that way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet don't sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. Let him who steals, steal no longer. But rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good, in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Isn't it amazing that when he writes to a church, he writes to regular people, just like us, doing regular things. They are not evil people. They are Christians, no doubt about it. They have given their hearts to Jesus. They're living for Jesus in a culture that didn't make it easy. They were trying. And they were failing because they didn't know. They had the belief thing right. They were getting that idea. I believe in God the Father, God the Son, crucifixion, resurrection. They had those things down. But this idea of being different in your life because you were Christian hadn't clicked yet. No one had taught them. They hadn't been Christians that long. They were busy learning the basics of faith. And they hadn't learned what they needed to do. So on screen are some things we can figure out. One of the first of these primary ideas is that God wants us to develop a godly foundation for our lives. Now don't let that word foundation mess you up. This is just meaning God wants you to have an understanding of life that is a godly foundation. It allows God to be involved in our lives. It allows us to pray. It allows us to think Christian and to speak Christian. 
Look at verses 14 and 15 again. And we didn't read this before. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. So this idea of all aspects, everything in your life is to be affected by your faith. Not just what you believe about Jesus, but how you talk. How you relate to your spouse and children and parents. How you act at work. How you act with your friends and so on and so forth. Every aspect of life is to be subjugated to your Christian faith. And he says here that what you have to learn to do is resist the winds of doctrine. And what he's talking about there is be stronger than your culture. Now your culture teaches you how to live. You may not like it, you may agree with it, or not even be aware of it. But the world in which you live has a way that is promoted and presented as acceptable. And in our culture, it's very clear. Watch TV, watch the news, watch the media. It is very clear that there is a particular lifestyle that is acceptable. And then there is that other lifestyle. Well, we're not going to talk about that. And there is a way of thinking that culture has. And strangely enough, no matter how strong a culture believes in something, it can change. And sometimes change overnight. When I was a kid... Tammy and I watch MeTV. Anybody watch that? MeTV? Old movies and all those kinds of things. Have you noticed that everybody on MeTV smokes? They all smoke. And it was cool to smoke. The pretty girls smoke. The sheriffs smoke. Everybody smokes. Because in our culture at the time, it was popular to smoke and it was the cool people. And then something happened and the culture changed, didn't it? And the culture government and all those kinds of things. We decided that smoking wasn't cool. So when you watch TV now, who smokes? Well, nobody. Once in a while, a criminal will smoke or light up or something like that. But now it's presented as good people don't smoke. That's just an example. I don't, I don't care whether you smoke or not. But, you know, it, it's an expensive habit and that's enough for me. But, you know, we have to understand that culture has a way of presenting a lifestyle. And if you're not careful, you'll just follow that lifestyle. And what you think is wrong today, you won't think it's wrong in five years, and so on and so forth. Paul is saying, don't let culture teach you how to live. Instead, learn to think for yourself. This idea of not letting every wind of doctrine influence you, he's talking about, think about you. Think about your life according to biblical teaching. And that can give you this foundation that isn't going to be changed and affected by everything that comes along. So on screen are a couple of ideas that can help you have this godly foundation. First of all, you accept the Bible as God's Word. What that means is when you understand scriptures, when you look at the clear teaching of scriptures, not crazy theories, but the clear teaching that Christians have held to for 2,000 years, you hold to those. And it doesn't matter whether the cool people like it or not, or whether scientists or governmental wags or whatever say it or like it, or, and that's irrelevant. You hold to those truths simply because they're from God. And sometimes they're religious and spiritual truths. And sometimes there are truths about how you should live and those kinds of things. And what you should do with your mouth and so on and so forth. And what you have to learn to do is trust scripture and biblical teachings as opposed to trusting culture. 
So whether or not somebody on TV says something or not has to become irrelevant. And again, we're not talking about being a good person versus a bad person. We're talking about being Christian. And there is a difference. So study your scriptures. Get involved in study. Try to stay awake when I'm talking and those kinds of things, right? And if, if, you're, if you're home and all those in TV land right now, watch. hopefully they're watching some preacher, maybe me, or somebody, maybe somebody else. But one of the things God wants us to do is allow God's word to seep into our heads. And it's a long, slow process, guys. It takes decades for God to change your heart and mind sometimes. But you need to do that. One of the other things, this foundational idea, is you accept that all that exists is God's creation. Regardless of how you interpret the creation story, whether you think it's literal history, which I do, or whether you think it's parable, which is I agree with a little bit, or whatever, there's a lot of ways to look at it. If you get it, the idea, the theological truth, is that we are all creations of God, that man and woman... Every man, every woman is created in the image of God. Tall or short, white or black, doesn't matter. Male, female. Created in the image of God. And because of that, you are worthy of love, of respect, of grace. That never changes. That's one of those foundational principles. So even though it may be acceptable for a culture to hate a certain group, the Bible says no. You don't get to hate people just because they're unpopular. Just because they do things you don't like or so on and so forth. You must treat them as God's people. Worthy of fair treatment. Worthy of justice. And that guides so many things. You know, in our culture, we still struggle with the result of the way we treated people 200 years ago. You know, African Americans were treated poorly. You know that. And we're still not only suffering for it now, they are too. And we're struggling trying to fix things. And it's hard. Biblical teaching is clear though. Those people. However you define those people. They're us. Just like us in so many ways. I used to think that certain races were smarter than other races. And I was so profoundly ignorant I can't believe it. Because you know what I did? I started reading. Always a dangerous thing. If you open yourselves up to truth you will find out not only biblical teaching. We're all equal. But so many things that I had based my opinion on was based more on my ignorance than anything else. Turns out that everybody has flashes of brilliance that choose the right historical context. You can find that those people, however you define those people, have had their time of shining in the sun and they have been brilliant and have accomplished much. It's crazy how ignorant educated people can be, myself included. So what you have to do is trust Scripture and base your life upon those teachings. And when you do that, based on that creation account, you understand that people have the potential, the incredible potential for good, and the incredible potential for evil. This whole Ukraine thing has kind of opened our eyes. Because we're smart and intelligent, and think everybody is inherently good. And guess what? That's not true, is it? Not everybody is inherently good. Some people are evil. And unfortunately, we all have the capacity for evil within us. What does a creation story show us? Good people. 
doing evil things. And God working to redeem the situation. Nothing's changed. You see, there's that idea that creation gives us an understanding of humanity. So we have these two things that can give us a foundation. And on those things, based on those things, we can begin to build a life that is Christian. Now, I'm going to say this. So hopefully you can wake up right now and quit thinking about lunch. The fact that you follow Jesus or have gotten saved doesn't mean you're living a Christian life. You are a Christian if you receive Jesus as Savior. Yes. But that doesn't mean you think Christian. It doesn't mean you speak Christian. It doesn't mean you treat other people as Christians. It doesn't mean you follow Jesus at all. There is that idea. We used to talk about discipleship and all those kinds of things. And that's what we're talking about here. Getting saved and that is the beginning point. So on screen is this idea that God wants us to determine our personal behavior by the teachings of our faith. Now you can see underneath this, this sentence, and this is a paraphrase of, the, of several verses here. Just follow along as I read this. Since you have received Jesus as Savior, and he is truth, choose to live your life after his example. So that's essentially what Paul is saying here. Since you're Christian, since you're saved, since you're cleansed, your sins have cleansed, and you're going to heaven when you die, since God has worked, he wants you to live differently. So, on screen are some behavioral practices that Paul talks about. So the first one, and I'm sorry for the blur here, the people at the place where we're buying new projectors say, by Easter we're going to have this all fixed. So just a few more weeks of blurred screens, okay? So Christian behavior... First of all, a restrained sexuality. Okay, I'm going to say it in the common vernacular. Quit sleeping around. Okay? It's that simple. Get married, stay that way as much as you can. Without beating anybody up or condemning anyone, God's plan is for man and woman to get married and exercise their sexuality within the confines of marriage. Anything else is plan B. Yes, it's sin. Yes, it's destructive. Yes, it hurts us. We were created for that one relationship. And when you go outside that, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean you're necessarily going to hell. But it does mean that you're doing things that God can't honor and will not bless. And so you just need to be careful with that. And that was a problem, guess where? In the early church. Because in that culture... All the sexual things that we're talking about today in our culture were rampant in Roman culture. They were doing everything. We haven't invented anything, guys. And it was in the church. So Paul says, you've got to stop this. Look at verse 19. And they, having become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. In other words, you can't practice your sexuality in a way that is debased, and vile and manipulates others. One of the characteristics of people who are out of control sexually is that they use other people for their own gratification. And that's one of the big problems. When a man or a woman decides to use their sexuality, they are using it to get something from someone else and they're manipulating people. So the guy who is on the prowl, and you know what I mean by that, he's using women for his own gratification. Or the woman who takes her clothes off, who, who uh, walks around scanning and clad, half naked, trying to attract men. She's doing the same thing. And Paul says, you guys got to stop. You got to restrain your sexuality. 
Number two, speak the truth. Guess what? People are liars. Not just Vladimir Putin. People lie. In the early church, people lie because in that culture, people lied. They did not value truthfulness. Or in the church. Everybody ought to know that, right? But if your mom and daddy didn't teach you to not lie, you're going to grow up a liar. You will. If you don't learn somewhere along the way that you need to tell the truth, then you won't because many times saying a lie is just easier. You see, these aren't religious things. These are profoundly spiritual things that make a difference in your life and relationships. Look at verses 26 and 31. Be angry, yet do not sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Control your emotions. You know, I talk about that a lot. Control the way you express your anger. Interestingly enough, he says, be angry, but don't sin. It is acceptable to be angry, guys. That is an emotion. It helps you sometimes. It motivates you. It clarifies your thoughts sometimes, and it communicates a clear message to other people. But he says, it's okay to be angry, but don't let it lead you into sin. No violence, no hurtful language, no attacking other people. You can't do it. And that's what the Christian idea is of Christian life. So in your marriage, if you get frustrated because he or she is imperfect, of course you are, you know, be careful. Don't let your anger lead you into sin. He says, don't let your sun go down, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. In other words, make sure you take care of it. Don't let your anger fester or any other emotion for that matter. On the next screen, it's amazing how practical Paul was. Look at verse 28. Let him who steals, steal no longer, but rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good, in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. People are thieves. If they're not taught any better, they'll do that. Again, these are Christians. And they were, they were doing these. And Paul was addressing these issues because these were people in the church that were unrestrained. And they were liars and they were thieves. And he says, get a job. And one of the reasons that you get a job is not only to fill your own needs, but did you see that? In order that he may have something to share with him who has need. One of the reasons that God has given us labor is not only to fulfill our needs, but to help those who can't help themselves. So there's this very subtle message here that God fully expects you to take care of yourself but also to take care of others. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are. Like it or not. There are people that need help. And there's nothing wrong with governmental programs that do that too. But that doesn't take away your personal responsibility. Work. Do what you have to do to get by. And share. Then he says here, the middle one, Use words carefully and don't grieve the Holy Spirit. How you speak to others makes a difference. How you speak, the tone of your voice, the words that you use makes a difference. I can give you all sorts of bad experiences in my life. I'm not going to do that because you know from your own life that how you talk makes a difference. How you talk to your children and grandchildren makes a big impact on what they're going to do and how they're going to turn out. How people talk to you 
determines how you're going to act. I mean, even as adults, how your boss talks to you or your spouse talks to you makes a difference over whether you will be accommodating and gracious or angry and rebellious. It's the same thing. Someone who beats you down will and will keep you down. And so what they have to do is learn to use their language carefully. And remember, he's talking to Christians. Well, don't people just know? No, they don't. They have to be taught. If they have grown up in a family that was emotionally or physically abusive, or they've grown up in a family where things were so desperate no one taught them anything, they will not know these things. They have to be taught. And that was what was going on in the early church. So Paul is teaching Christians, us, how to act. And finally, practice kindness and forgiveness. Look at verse 32 if you would. And be kind unto one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Be nice to each other. That's okay. You do not have to attack people that disagree with you. You do not have to attack people that say things you don't like. There's a way to speak and to disagree without cussing each other out and calling each other names and all those kinds of things. I am so disappointed in our culture, and I don't know why I think our culture would rise above this, but we have turned to social media and we've all become snarky seventh grade girls. And I don't mean to be insolent towards seventh grade girls either. We are snarky and insulting because we can get away with it. And people are insulting and condescending and they insult people and it just drives me nuts. I have preacher friends, I'm not going to name her names, and they wouldn't watch me anyway. But I've got preacher friends who are very clearly of one political persuasion or another. And they are completely willing to insult and condemn other people. And not just say, I disagree with them. But to call them names and to cast doubt upon their character and their intelligence, etc., etc., you know. And they do it all in the name of Jesus. And I thought, they skipped this passage. It is hard to control your tongue. I get it. And yet God calls us to do that. Part of a Christian life is to control your speech. To be an encourager. To be someone who lifts people up rather than tears people down. There was a clip on the news this morning. I'd never heard of it before. There is this phone line. It's a hotline called Pep Talk. P-E-P-T-O-K. Say, what in the world is that? This is something out of a group of elementary kids in California, of course. And they were... The teacher was teaching them that they needed to be nice, needed to tell people uh, nice things and try to help them because people need help. So these kids came up with this pep talk and they spelled talk, T-A-L-K, T-O-K because they're just little kids. And it's a phone line. And you call up and if you need help, press 1. If you need someone to be nice to you, press 2. If you need someone to give you words of encouragement, press 3. And on and on it goes. And one of them is, if you just want to feel good, press 5. Seriously. And so they have this entire menu. And the press 5 thing is, and I, I can't make this stuff up. I got online this morning to find out about it. But you can call this number, and if you press the right number, you'll get a child in child's language saying something nice to you. And one of them, if you just want to feel good, you press that number, and it's a recording of little kids laughing with each other. And I thought, what a cool idea. The first day, they averaged more than 700 calls an hour, and it is now viral all over the planet. People so desperate for a positive word that they call a total stranger just to hear something positive. Folks, don't ever doubt the idea that somebody out there that you encounter needs some encouragement. They do. 
And amazingly, isn't it amazing that 2,000 years ago, God knew this and he motivated Paul to write, this is what you've got to do. You've got to use your words graciously. You've got to be kind. People are struggling. So be nice. When you're in a really cranky mood, well, maybe just stay home. No, don't do that. You get to do that. Instead, submit yourself to biblical teaching. Say, okay, God, I'm not in the mood. I don't want to be nice. I want to kick my dog. Help me to be better. I have that prayer. My dog knows. When I'm in that mood, get away. You know, and I pray that, God, help me to be nice. Because sometimes I'm just not in the mood to be nice. Help me to smile because sometimes I'm not in the mood to smile. And I notice that some of you are like that too. You come in and you're cranky. I get it. This is when you pray, God, help me today. It's, by the way, it's really bad when a preacher gets up on Sunday morning and he's not in the mood to be with people. That's a tough gig. So I pray, okay, God, help me to be Christian today. Help me to treat my spouse well. Help me to be patient, etc., etc. People like being treated nice. It's amazing how much life changes when you're nice to others and they're nice to you. See, none of this stuff is religious at all. It is a way by which you live your life according to biblical teachings. And it changes everything. On, on the last screen is this statement. Read this with me. A godly lifestyle is one based upon a foundation of biblical truth and lived out in relationship with God and others. And this is what God desires for us all. So what does God want me to do? He wants me to be like Jesus. To be gracious and kind. Part of the reason that Jesus was so popular wasn't just the fact that he challenged authorities. He did that. He was a populist. But one of the things he did was he just treated people well. He loved people that weren't used to being loved. He was gracious and kind and affirming. And people love that. So let me challenge you to be like Jesus. Follow him and love people. Nate's going to come and lead us in a hymn of invitation this morning. Let me encourage you to follow Jesus. Make him Lord of your life. Let him change you. Would you stand with me, please? Nate? Soften our hearts so that we can be kind to each other. Open our eyes and our ears so that we can see you through the Holy Spirit and hear you so we know where to go in our lives. May we be more like you each and every day from following your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.